0: Matthew two nineteen through twenty three today. <clears throat> After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, "Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead." So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. I grew up going to church. Um, It really... Uh, it, was, it was kind of a regular routine for me, but it, it really didn't, like, kind of reach me personally until I was about 16. Uh, but went to church, you know, through high school, uh, went to a Christian college, went to seminary. And it wasn't until the third year of seminary before we actually addressed, like, how it is that do we hear from God when God is calling us to do something. But I think it's just assumed. You know, in a lot of churches, I mean, it's not, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's just kind of assumed that if you're going to hear from God, that I, I don't know, some some booming voice like in the movies, and the clouds are going to separate, and and that is fantastic if that's how it works for you. Uh, but I've never had it work that way for me. Uh, what does it look like to hear God? To hear God's calling uh, on our own lives, whether it's something small, whether it's It's just like a go over and talk to that person, you know, kind of calling or or something really big, something life changing, Um, and and I believe that God speaks in a variety of ways. Uh, Sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes it's it's kind of a word that comes to you. It's it's a word of direction. Other times it's just a peace that you feel as you move forward in some area of your life. Maybe maybe something that you have no business feeling peace about, but, but as you step into that, uh, that new thing, whatever it is, there's just this, this peace inside of you. Uh, sometimes we can go to scripture and, and we can read God's word and, and there's a peace that stands out to us and God kind of calls to us through, uh, through uh, scripture itself or, or maybe a Christian friend that comes alongside you and says just the right thing at, at just the right time that somehow speaks to you. In a way that they certainly couldn't couldn't have known what they were doing, but but it's just pretty clear God was working through them uh, in that moment. I've had times where where I've been out in creation and and just I don't know, this is a great place to go out in creation. And and you just have this moment where you just need to hear from God and, and somehow something speaks to you, whether whether it's a sunset or a sunrise or or two branches as you walk that just randomly make a cross as you're walking. And somehow uh, you know that God is connecting with you. I've had God connect to me through opening doors and through closing doors. Uh, things that, that all of a sudden became a possibility that weren't. Things that all of a sudden it's like, okay, I guess I'm not going that direction, God. You made that pretty clear. Um, there's, there's so many different ways. And, and for me... Uh, one of the things that I think about is when my family moved out here. We were, uh, my family were all from Minnesota. I had been serving in a church in Illinois, uh, so uh, it always gets confusing. I always say we moved from Illinois, and then people are like, "I thought they were from Minneapolis." Minneapolis is not in Illinois, in case you only know your West Coast. Uh, Minneapolis is in Minnesota, uh, but we're both. Uh, my wife and I are born and raised there. Serving in a church in Illinois, felt called to come uh, to Chapel in the Pines and. And for me, it was just this quiet and kind of confident assurance that this just felt right. Uh, I don't know how to describe it, but there's times in my life where I, I feel like I've been following God long enough that that there's times where you're like, this just feels like God. God is doing something here, whether it's those opening doors. Uh, but it's it's often those situations where it's like, I have peace going forward into a situation where I kind of have no earthly business having peace, right? I have no, uh, there's no reason I should, and and I always get this feeling that there's these moments in life where God is calling, and in this beautiful way, it's like I become a supporting character in my own story, and all of a sudden God takes like center stage, and God's like, I'm, I'm gonna do something here, and it's it is not even necessarily about you, but but you get to be along for the ride you good to be along for that. And, and I just pray that, that you all have, have maybe had an experience like that or, or pray that you will uh, someday because it's just this beautiful thing. I love in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, verse 28. This is one of my favorite uh, Bible verses in all of Scripture because it, it seems very uh, clear. It's never one that you're going to see like carved on wood or like above someone's doorway. But Acts 15, 28 the, the people of God are trying to discern their next step forward, and it says this, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us, dot, dot, dot. And that's kind of been this discernment process, at least in my own life. There's times where it's like, it feels like God is doing something, and it feels right, you know, to me. that like It feels good to the Holy Spirit, and it feels good to us uh, that we move forward in this way. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. So, so as we get into our scripture passage, I just want to keep that kind of in the forefront of our mind. Uh, here we're learning about uh, Jesus' family. Jesus is quite young uh, at the time, and they were returning from Egypt. They were, um, you know, there fleeing from King Herod the Great. Um, his violence and his brutality, and, and God had called them to run away to Egypt. And, and as we get to our scripture passage today... Uh, that's where they are. And it starts like this. This is Matthew chapter 2, starting in 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. I'm already kind of jealous because God just gives me peace, but apparently God speaks directly to Joseph in dreams. So, uh, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. In Egypt, and said, "Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to t- trying to take the child's life are dead." This this whole concept, this whole theme of an angel appearing uh, in dreams to people, it's it's all the way through uh, the book of Matthew. But it's so heavy here on the front end. This is the fourth time. We're in chapter two. This is the fourth time that God has appeared to someone in a dream, and, and three of the times it's been Joseph. We have no words that Joseph speaks in Scripture. And here in Matthew, it's, it's never like, you know, Mary, that sometimes there's dialogue and we have it quoted you know, in our Bibles. Joseph, uh, I believe he probably did speak, but <laughs> we don't have it recorded, right? It's just Joseph hears from God, and then Joseph has some action going for God. Joseph listens to God just repeatedly. The first one was in Matthew 1.20, Joseph was told in a dream, don't, don't worry about marrying Mary. Uh, go ahead with this. In, in Matthew 2, verse 12, the, the Magi, the wise men are coming and they are warned in a dream not to return to Herod uh, after visiting Jesus and, and they go back to their own country through a different route. Matthew 2, 13, the very next verse, Joseph is warned in a dream and he flees to Egypt. Uh, with his family. And here, 2.19, just a few verses later, Joseph is told once again in a dream uh, to come back. And every single time, for all of these, including the Magi, it just results in action. It results in, in that they hear from God and then they immediately set off in doing what God has called them to do. Verse 21. So he got up He took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in the town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled. Through what the prophets had said that he would be called a Nazarene. So here Joseph with the whole family, they go back to Israel. Uh, but the danger is not totally gone. Uh, we get this quote: Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father, Herod. So a little background and history on that. Uh, I find this stuff really fascinating. So so last or a couple weeks ago, we talked about Herod the Great. Uh, who that, he wasn't great because he was like a good person. He was great because he did a lot of building projects and he built a lot of things. And, and being called the Great was an official Roman title that was given to him by the emperor. So he was, he was uh, Herod the Great. Herod the Great dies in 4 BC. Uh, 4 BC. Don't let that confuse you because Jesus is already alive. Um, you're like, I thought the calendar started at, I was going to say zero, but there's no zero. It goes one to one. Uh, don't let that confuse you either. <laughs> so, so Herod dies in 4 BC our current calendar was actually made by a monk in 525 and he was just quite frankly like 6 years off uh, so he tried to set it on Jesus' birthday he was slightly off, not a big deal uh, but that's where that comes from so 4 BC, Herod dies at the age of 69 Herod was such a brutal leader he actually had more than one of his adult sons killed right before he died because he was afraid that they were going to take over uh, as king. Um, so he, he had more than one of his adult sons killed. He has three remaining uh, sons who end up do taking over the area. Uh, Herod, again, is so violent, he's so um, vicious to the people that he's afraid before he died, he's on his deathbed, and he's afraid that the people are going to rejoice when he dies instead of mourn him. So he puts this plan in action where he takes many, many of the prominent and influential men of the area and he orders their execution to happen when he dies. Because in his mind, he's like, then the people will mourn my loss. Now, luckily, these executions were stopped by Herod's sister right after his death. But he had every intention of this being followed through with. So he has three sons, the oldest remaining son is Archelaus, he's 19 years old, and Archelaus is is the oldest remaining son, so he's put in charge of half of his father's kingdom, that's how it worked uh, for them back then. He only rules from 4 BC to 6 AD, that's not very long, especially for a 19 year old. Right? He only rules those handful of years, and the reason is because he just follows in his father's footsteps, but he takes the brutality to another level. There's, there's this uh, festival that's happening uh, for Passover in Jerusalem, and there's some signs that there might be a rebellion that's stirring in this, um, and this is only a few years after Herod the Great has died, and, and he says, how dare these people... Think that they're going to rebel against me. So he sends in his army into the whole temple area and he kills 3,000 pilgrims in Jerusalem. He kills 3,000 pilgrims and, and this gets the attention of the Roman emperor, who is Caesar Augustus at the time. And Caesar Augustus is not necessarily against the brutality. But Caesar Augustus wants to do everything he can to not start rebellions in different areas of the empire. So he looks at Archelaus here, and he thinks he's a liability. He thinks he's going to start this rebellion by being so brutal to the people, so Caesar Augustus ends up banishing him to Gaul, which is modern-day France in 6 AD, where he lives out the rest of his life. Now, a little more piece of history. um, It's they decide uh, in Rome that it's too dangerous to put these kings in charge of Jerusalem, that they're going to cause a rebellion, so they start putting governors in charge in the area. And, and the governor number, I don't remember if it's four, five, or six, is this guy named Pilate. Right, so when we get to the death of Jesus, there's a there's a governor ruling, and that's where that comes from. One of... Uh, Herod the Great's other sons is, is another guy named Herod, Herod Antipas. He was 17 years old when he took uh, a quarter of his father's kingdom. He rules up in Galilee. He rules from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D. As a much longer rule. He becomes famous in the rest of Scripture. He's the Herod that you hear about who beheads John the Baptist for criticizing his scandalous marriage to his half-brother's wife. He's also the Herod who interviews Jesus right prior to his crucifixion. That's another one of the brothers up in Galilee. So so let's reread this passage, and now that you have a little little more context, especially of who Archelaus is, uh, let's look at this. Again, verse 21. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But we heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what the prophets had said that he would be called a Nazarene. So once again, we have an angel intervene in a dream once again. Uh, they returned. They thought they heard from God, right? And I think they did hear from God. But when they got to Jerusalem, that's when it became a little more of, okay, God, let's speak again because Archelaus is here. Uh, and, and just having that little bit of history of who he is, you can tell why there was nervousness uh, among Joseph and the family. Uh, one part that is that is really fascinating here, Uh, and I can't get into all the details, but but there's this phrase at the end, the the last phrase of this scripture passage. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Bible quiz. Where does it say that in the Old Testament? It doesn't say it. It doesn't say it even in like these other books that we have from the time. You know, there's some stuff that that became you know maybe part of the, the Catholic Bible that we don't have in the Protestant Bible. It's not in there either. There's not a place in the Old Testament, and actually, in my uh, Bible here it gives all the like the footnotes. You know, it says, "Oh, this place." You know, that's Hosea 11. You know, that kind of stuff. It it skips this one. There is no Bible verse that says the Messiah is going to be born in Nazareth. Now, there's a couple, I think, really good explanations. And and just a hint, biblical authors love to do this kind of thing because they want you to to look at this, be unsure, and then to chew over this for a long period of time to wonder, what is going on here? Why is it said like this? And and there's a couple options that are put forward, uh, and it's either one of them or it's both intentionally, and we're supposed to be kind of chewing over this and realizing what's going on. So the first option, is that the word Nazareth, especially spoken in their language, sounds a lot like the Hebrew word netzer. Netzer, if you don't know your Hebrew, uh, netzer is this Hebrew word that means branch or sprout. It's just, the, it's just the word for branch. If you're walking and you see a tree, you know, there's a branch, that's what you would call it. It's just simply that word, but there's a lot of prophecies that include this. Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse, and his roots, and from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The exact same Hebrew word. Now, Hebrew is written, uh, not to get into too much detail, but the, the original language is written with only the consonants and none of the vowels, uh, to make it even easier for us. Right? So only the consonants, none of the vowels. So Netzer is, is written by the three main consonants, which is N-Z-R. Which is the exact same thing as Nazareth's three main consonants, N Z R. And and in the language of the time, Aramaic, which is what Jesus was probably speaking, it sounds almost like the same word. So Matthew could be playing on this, this word play of what's going on here, that, that he's going to be a branch that, that comes from the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of, of King David. Right? So from the line of David, the, the, there's a stump. That tree has stopped. There's no more kings coming from that line, but we're promised that a new shoot will come, that a new branch will come from that that stump, and it will bear new fruit. The second option is that Nazareth refers to people who are despised and rejected. People who are despised and rejected. Nazareth is the small town. It's 55 miles away from Jerusalem. And it had this negative reputation among the Jewish people, especially those living down south and kind of the main area uh, of where they lived. And Galilee as a whole, this, this region to the north where Nazareth is, is, is looked down upon by the people. And even within Galilee, Nazareth is looked down upon by those people. It, it's like Jesus grew up, it's not, it's not that he went to like the nicest place, right? He went to this small, kind of backwards town up in the hill country of Galilee. And we can see this in John 1, verse 46. Philip uh, has been called by Jesus to be a disciple. He goes and he finds his brother, Nathanael, and Nathanael says this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Come and see, said Philip. So, even right in scripture, we get this, this idea of the, there's, there's an idea that certainly nothing could come from Nazareth. It's, it's like, I don't, know, I don't want to pick on a town around here, <laughs> but if you picked a town and you were like, really? Like, that, like, let's say, second coming of Jesus, and they're like, really? He came from Arnold? Like, how bizarre would that be, right? And you're like, what about Jesus from Jerusalem? What about Jesus from one of these other prominent cities in the empire? Jesus from? Arnold? Right? That would be bizarre. And and yet it's like so much more extreme than that because because this place is is despised and it's rejected. And there's certainly a lot of scripture about how the Messiah, about how Jesus will be viewed that way. Psalm 22, verses 6 through 7 says, I am a worm, not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. This is a prophecy going forward of what the life of the Messiah was going to be like. Despised and rejected. Scorned by everyone. So in this meaning, he shall be called a Nazarene, turns into something like he shall be despised and he shall be mocked even by his own people. Jesus not only identified with humanity by coming into our world, by drawing near, he also identified with the lowest, hardest parts of what it means to live in this world. His upbringing in an obscure, despised town isn't isn't something that takes away from his mission. It's something that draws his mission forward. It's something that shows a bigger picture of what his mission was to come from this kind of town and yet to be the savior of the world. We can see this quite often if you just read through the Gospels. One of Jesus' favorite titles for himself was Jesus of Nazareth. He could have been Jesus the son of Joseph. He could could have just gone with that title. There's there's a lot of people named Jesus. They always kind of identified uh, by a place or a person or something. Um, But he chose Jesus of Nazareth. And even in the book of Acts, when Paul is literally knocked off of his high horse and and becomes blind and, and Jesus appears before him, that is how Jesus identifies himself. Jesus of Nazareth. And later on, Paul in Acts 26, when when retelling the story of his own conversion, keeps bringing up Nazareth as the place where this Jesus is from. There's definitely something going on here in Scripture. The good news is that I think that Jesus is a lot more uh, easy to identify with than some Jesus that that it might be, it might be true. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it, but some sinless Jesus that's I don't know glowing with radiance. You know, if you kind of view Jesus that way, um, it makes it kind of hard. But Jesus from Nazareth, I feel like I can connect with Jesus from Nazareth. I feel like when I'm going through a hard time, when you're going through a hard time, when when life is not fair, when when we feel like we're even despised, when we feel like we're being rejected. Uh, by people that that we have invested in, people that we have loved. It is this Jesus of Nazareth that draws near to us. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one that has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. During all of Christmas, we talk about Jesus drawing near, Jesus coming close, that God did not stay far away, that, that despite um, a throne in heaven, that God drew near to his people and was born in a manger. And that, that story of, of kind of the, the manger upbringing, how this is not Jesus being born in a castle, this is not Jesus being born as royalty, it just continues through the Gospels, and, and it continues right into this moment where now now he's not even being raised in, in some great place. So to speak. He's in Nazareth. And it should stand out to us in a way that, that almost feels comforting because when we feel like that's where we are in life, we're not truly alone. And his Holy Spirit promises to be with us no matter where we find ourselves, comforting us guiding us, giving us peace that passes all understanding. We follow a God that did not stay far away, but one that drew near to the human condition, that knows what you're going through, that knows those feelings you have that that you don't even share with those closest to you, that knows that, that rejection that you feel inside. We follow a God who has walked among us, who has felt what we feel, who has experienced the joys of life, but also the pains of life. At Christmas, we talk about uh, this name for Jesus that is given, this name Emmanuel, and it means God with us. It means that he is our light, in the darkness. That can be he can be our hope when we feel hopeless, that he can be our peace and our restoration when our hearts are broken. That he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now let me end with this reading from Philippians two six through eleven. Speaking of Jesus, it says, who though he Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father.